0: I think I'm fortunate in that I don't find this exam a huge burden in terms of the content. I enjoyed studying for it and I enjoyed taking it and applying all this new stuff that I'd learned like I'd never studied logic before. So it was it was a lot of fun in that sense. But at the same time, you can enjoy something and be frustrated by not getting the results that you want.
1: Hello and welcome to the Seven Stage podcast. I'm JY Ping, and on today's episode, I speak with seven-sager Rochisha, who scored a 174 on her June 2019 LSAT. This was her fourth official score obtained after studying for two years. We recorded this conversation in the winter of 2019. We waited to release this episode while her applications were pending, and then the pandemic caused further delays. It is long overdue, but I'm very glad that we're finally releasing the episode now. At the end of the conversation, we'll get an update from Rochisha. I have 7 sager Habeas Porpoise, whose real name is Rochisha, with me. Rochisha, welcome to the podcast.
0: Yeah, hi. Thanks for having me.
1: So we're talking because you have an amazing LSAT score and you (laughs) have an even more awesome story to go along with this. So To get started, why don't you tell us what you got on the LSAT?
0: Yeah, my last take was the June 2019 exam and I got a 174.
1: And was this your first take?
0: Uh, No, it was actually my fourth take. Um, You know, I'd been studying for a while before I even took my first take, but I, I just, I don't know, I just couldn't seem to consistently hit anywhere near my PT scores at all. And it actually took some time to get to my final take, but about a year later after my first take, I did my fourth take, which was my June 2019 exam with my 174. So it worked out in the end. Um, and I learned a lot over, over the period of just studying for this exam and taking tests and learning about myself, but yeah, for sure. It was unfortunately, no, it was not my first take.
1: No, that's, um, well, shows improvement. So you said from your first to fourth was about a year.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, my first take was June 2018. Um, at that point, I was PTing around like a 169, 170, which is what I was hoping for on, on the real exam. I was consistent there. But my first take was a 166. And then right after I decided to sign up for September, because I I felt like I'd underperformed you know, in retrospect, I have other thoughts about what actually happened. But, you know, at the time I I thought, okay, you know, I could just take it one more time. I should at least get, you know, my goal score, it should be fine. And I went down, I went to a 164, which is horrifying. Um, It was a terrible morning. Um, It was, it was incredibly upsetting. And um, at that point, I started realizing, okay, it's not just the test scenario being on the real exam, because going into the test, I felt like it was like another PT. Of course, you know, there were nerves and moments of like, oh, can I really do this? That you don't necessarily have during a practice test, but overall it didn't feel much different from a PT, which is what I was aiming for. But after my second test, it kind of clicked that, okay, it can't just be like the test scenario. Something's not going right with my exams, like my real exams, and something's not translating over from my PT. Mm -hmm. And that's when I started, um, you know, at that point, I actually only had three exams left. I'd been really careful with Tests, I didn't squander my exams. I was really good about using them deliberately and not wasting them. But, you know, leading up to my third take, it had been over a year and a half or so. And um, I had only like three to five exams left. And so in the two or so months I had, I did a lot of retakes, but you know, I sprinkled in new exams as well. But even then, like my PT score went up, which was good. But ultimately when I got my score, it wasn't where I wanted it to be. And I got a one sixty eight at that point my p t was around one seventy two and a part of me was like, "Okay, well, you know that's really close, right like mm-hmm. I wonder if it's time to to call it quits and a part of me was just really tired, I think, which is interesting at the time because I really do enjoy this exam. I think I'm fortunate in that I don't find this exam a huge burden in terms of the content. I enjoyed studying for it, and I enjoyed taking it and applying all this new stuff that I'd learned, like I'd never studied logic before. So it was a lot of fun in that sense. But at the same time, you can enjoy something and be frustrated by not getting the results that you want. Right. And that happened, right? Like when I got my third test, I was like, okay, well, at least I didn't go down again. So (laughs) there, there is that to look at, like the positive. But another part of me just felt like I was so close yet so far, like two points. And I remember on the real exam, and that exam went really well, actually, the real test, you know, my RC, I got a perfect score. So I felt like, okay, that's like the best I could do on RC, at least there's that. Um, but then I realized I had so much volatility that I hadn't adequately addressed that I'd started working on, right, leading up to that third exam. And I, I wondered, is it okay for me to give up now? And I, I was really conflicted that day when I got my score. But coincidentally, that was the day that there was like a seven sage meetup in New York, and I just moved. To New York too, so it was.
1: I remember meeting you. We had the post exam New York City. Yeah, meet-up.
0: and part of me just did not want to go because <laughs> I didn't want to <laughs> face my score. Um, I-, I wanted to ignore it for a few days, uh, pretend it didn't happen. But you know, another part of me was like, this is good for me to go and just talk to other people who are dealing with this exam and just be around good company. Um, moving to a new city, you know, and that's actually one of the things between my second and third exam, right? I moved just a couple of weeks after my second exam. So I was in the process of packing. And then my third exam was like a month and a half or so after I'd moved. Gotcha. Um, and it was a stressful time. But even then, like, I, I felt like this exam in some ways was kind of the one thing that was constant at the time. And I was looking forward to it. But then getting that poor score was pretty upsetting. But then in that evening, when I, I went and I talked to you and David Buses and a lot of other seven sagers, it was pretty inspiring to just be told that, you know, I should give it one more shot, um, just because I was scoring in a very different place. I was PTing in a different place from where I was scoring, and I remember like what you said to me was that you know worst case scenario, you apply early with your one sixty eight rather than applying in December, right? Yeah. And then best case scenario, I succeed in scoring higher, scoring closer to my PT, and having a better shot all around for for law school. Yeah. And I was convinced by the end of the d- end of the day by the by the evening, but um, a part of I think I also. Had to convince some people around me <laughs> that I wasn't making a terrible life decision. Right. Um, right. So, a lot,
1: lot of anxiety and nerves. That
0: yeah, for sure. And so um, I kind of went home and I debated over it a bit. You know, I thought, okay, what if I just go ahead and apply this cycle and see what happens? And I can always reapply next cycle. But then I'd worked really hard on some of my application materials and I was didn't want to just submit it without giving myself a good shot all around after having already spent so much time working hard on this. And so uh, I finally made the decision to retake. And I also used that time to just take some time away from the test. I took a solid like two or so months off. And of course I'd taken a month or two off here or there between my prep, especially since, you know, when I decided to delay my first cycle in 2017, before I even had taken my first test you know, I'd taken a month or so during like the holidays to take a break mentally from this test, but this time it was a bit more deliberate. It was more like a part of it was also, I didn't know what to study. I had, okay, I'd made this decision to delay and retake, but I didn't even know what to study. That was really hard. I think because, you know, through the core curriculum, you have kind of a path from the seven stage core curriculum, knowing yeah. that there's like a study plan out for you. And, you know, you can go at your own pace, but there's a sort of guide. And once you get into the PT phase, there is a bit of a guide there too. You know, a lot of past Sagers have left a lot of fantastic information that I think is a wonderful starting point once you're in the P, what we call quote unquote the PT phase, even though, yeah. um, you know, you're drilling a lot more during that time too. But when you start taking full exams and you're out of the core curriculum, there's a lot of instruction and structure there too. But once I'd entered this point where I felt like I was so close and trying to just fill in those tiny, tiny gaps that sometimes I couldn't even identify. Yeah, I wasn't sure what to study. Yeah. Like I had the energy, I had the drive, I had the commitment, I had everything except a plan. And it was, I think part of me just was also like, okay, let me at least take some time off and then come back fresh and see yeah. what I can do. And of course I was out of PTs at the time too. I had no new PTs. And actually I remember you telling me to take July so that I would have the June exam And that's what I had planned. And then I found out the July exam would be like 50-50 digital. I was just like, nope, that's not going (laughs) to (laughs) happen.
1: Yeah, a lot of people do that.
0: Yeah, it was two years of studying.
1: The LSAC just sprung that on everybody like so quick. They have been talking about digital for years and not Mm -hmm. really taking any action. then all of a sudden they get a new president and boom, it's everything's digital
0: yeah and I know a lot of people do do enjoy the digital I think for me um, if I'd had more time to maybe prep with it, I might have been okay taking digital but at that point you know it was over two years of practicing on paper and i just I already didn't have new exams on top of that like the volatility of maybe having digital, maybe having paper was yeah. just something I didn't think I wanted to deal with. <laughs> yeah. So I, I said, you know what, at this point, I also don't know what else I can do. The the best I can do is address that volatility with my LR section. That's kind of what I finally identified as my one okay. section that like one section, I'd go minus seven, another I'd go minus two. And it was just okay. poor performance. And that told me I had a lot that I needed to learn. Yeah. And so I focused all my prep on just redoing LR questions and LR sections and of course practicing everything cohesively and I took June and it, it worked out so it was good
1: nice so back to your third take in November mm-hmm. of 2018 you had a perfect RC score so yeah how was LR and LG yeah
0: so lR minus seven LG lR was minus seven for one section minus two for the other and right. then logic games I got. I think it was minus three um there was a, a hard game actually no you know what it's really funny um the game wasn't actually hard when I went back and br'd it later and I only mm-hmm. br'd it like before the June exam because at the time I just could not face my own test <laughs> um and I put it off I was like you know what I need to step away and maybe I'll use this as a semi-new exam mm-hmm. um but when I went back that game was very clear um yeah. but in that it's interesting how things change in that moment yeah. in that moment it felt like a five star difficulty game when it was maybe two or three. And Mm -hmm. I perceived the rules was different, how I perceived the, the scenario that they put out was different and the questions. And I remember looking back and, you know, I ended up brute forcing the game and it was okay. You know, I had the time to do it. And that I think was a testament to some of the great advice I'd gotten from people on Seven Sage about creating time for yourself. But at the same time though, it could have gone differently. So overall, I think, in all honesty, like I came out of the test feeling good. And I I still think that the test wasn't bad. Like starting with the 147 and 168 was not at all bad. I was more than happy with that. Um, It was just more of deciding whether or not that I wanted to stop my studying there. Yeah. And how much I, you know, with my chances of maybe if it was the September exam that I got a 168, I wonder if my choices would have been different because, you know, it would have been early in the cycle. And, Maybe my opportunities would have been different. But at the point where I was then, I think it was okay. Yeah. But I do think LR, though, you know, it was a huge red flag, right? Like a minus seven in one section and a minus two in another is, it's not normal volatility there. So for me, that was something I kind of started noticing from my previous test, too, that, you know, even though I prep for it, oftentimes that's the section that I see scores my score, you know, just kind of changes based on just that section. And so I decided that that was something I needed to look at. So
1: This is reminding me, I was giving out this piece of advice on uh, that night during that event about specifically addressing volatility, about how
2: Mm -hmm. if
1: you do encounter volatility from section to, like if it's the same section, sometimes you get like a minus two, but then, you know, when it's bad, it's like a minus seven or even worse. I was telling people what that suggests is that some of the answers that you're picking is based more on luck than on reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one day luck is with you, next day luck is not, right? So that's where you get that volatility from. So I think I told everybody just systematically discount those kinds of answers. Like if you're, you know, during a timed run, if you can't be at least more than 50-50 on an answer choice, you just should penalize, count that question as wrong. Mm-hmm. That way your prep test will always be reflecting the lower end of your abilities. Right.
0: Yeah, that was, like I said, my focus during my time leading up to my last test, because at that point I said, okay, you know, I know for a fact that I've done a lot of good work for logic games and even RC, which RC used to at one point became my worst section as well. So I worked on that a lot too. I created a system for those sections that had mitigated All that volatility. So I knew how I would score on those sections, Mm -hmm. even on a bad day, right? I would still not score worse than maybe a minus three or a minus four on logic games, which I know is a lot of people do way better on logic games than that. But for me, like that was kind of the worst case scenario that I'd kind of factored in to my Mm -hmm. scores. And again, that's a worst case scenario. I was, you know, averaging minus two, minus one on logic games and then reading comprehension as well. I'd gotten to a consistent minus two maybe.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And I realized LR was really. That's what I had control over at this point, right? Like that's what I could do my best to address. And so I went back and started redoing complete LR sections and I would give myself 30 minutes instead of 35 to account for Mm -hmm. the fact that I'd already seen it. That was, again, the best I could do to compensate for retakes yeah, retakes or seeing the question again. And I stayed consistent in doing some of my approaches in terms of like 10 and 10 or 15 and 15 or yeah. um, how I would approach questions. But I was really deliberate with the questions I missed. Um, more, you know, more deliberate than I thought I had been doing VR. Mm-hmm. But after having seen so many questions, I'd gotten to a point where I could dig even deeper and think about, okay, why is this the wrong answer? What was the LSAC trying to do by giving this to us as a question or the, yeah. giving this to us as the answer choice? And I know Sammy talks about this in her podcast as well, but being more deliberate with how we change answers and thinking about, oh, what could I do to make this better? Or, you know, what makes this answer choice wrong? And could I change the stimulus to match that more? Especially with like parallel reasoning or flaw questions, Uh, analogy. And actually that's incredibly great prep for RC as well is, Practicing creating analogies, oftentimes analogy questions, at least for me personally, would be uh, some of the tougher questions on RC. And becoming really good at creating parallel arguments, both good and bad arguments, made it a lot easier to kind of see that on a long, you know, I think of RC as like multiple LR stimuli put together. Um, And if you look at it that way, then it just makes it so much easier to capture the nuance in an analogy question on RC. So overall, I think each section in some ways does feed into the other sections on the test. And at this point, I try to look at it more, even LR, I try to look at it more from an RC perspective is to look at it a bit more structurally. And mm-hmm. again, that comes down to changing words. And, um, be when you're practicing. And so that really, I think helped a lot. And of course, you know, there were some questions that it was like my fourth or fifth time getting it wrong (laughs) and just accepting that I still was not getting it. Um, and figuring out, you know, what am I not understanding, creating explanations for myself. And I don't think I did something much different from what I did during BR, except it was just more intense. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think a part of it was I could do that because I'd had so much exposure and I'd come to a point where this was kind of all I was working on. I didn't have a lot of other things to fix on the exam anymore. Mm-hmm. Timing wasn't an issue. Other sections weren't an issue. The foundational concept of, you know, what do I do for this question type or how do I convert this explanation into a logical statement? Like those weren't issues anymore. So I think I had the luxury of focusing on just my weaknesses in a way that I didn't have before. So again, like, you know, I don't know if this could have been recreated in another situation, but at that point it was a very focused sort of prep. And I was actually prepping a lot fewer hours in general, maybe like, you know, I was working full-time and things were busy and I was maybe studying one to two hours a day, max, uh, sometimes just 30 minutes, but I made sure that those Minutes I put in were incredibly deliberate because um, mm-hmm. you know time was precious at yeah. that point, and uh, you know weekends, of course, I would take full PTs. And for full PTs, one test or two tests a week, depending on my schedule. I didn't see PTs as tests anymore. I saw them as drills um, because at this point, I felt like the score wasn't as important. It was just what I could learn from my mistakes. And so again, I would give each section 30 minutes and RC, I'd give a little more just because it's RC. So I'd give 32 or so. Mm -hmm. And that's how I went through practices. And yeah, that was a lot of my focus was really using the resources I had left. And, you know, of course I'd rewatch seven stage explanations and yeah, I've come back to the core curriculum multiple times. Like I never really left it, right? Like I'd go back after my first round through the core curriculum, when I first started, I went back at one point to, relearn concepts with a new uh, kind of perspective, having seen it applied yeah. on the test. And then now I'd go back and focus on the areas where I felt like I was a little iffy. Yeah. And in the end, some people asked me like, Oh, what were your PT scores with your retakes? And I honestly don't know. I think I was around like, sometimes I'd score 176 and sometimes a little higher, sometimes a little lower. And I didn't really track it. Because again, at that point, I felt like that wasn't the goal of the prep I was doing. Right, It was to do my best to fill in questions or like fill in the gaps I had with questions. And then it was an interesting kind of, few days leading up to my, my real exam, it was a lot of like self doubt again about whether or not I could do this. Mm -hmm. But another part of me was also super excited to finally see new questions. Like I was so (laughs) sick of seeing the same (laughs) questions. Like I felt like i kind of memorized some questions word to word at one point. And I was like, this is just, this is too much. And so I was actually really excited going into the test. It was a really new feeling. And of course, you know, like I said, I do enjoy this exam and I'd gone into previous tests feeling positive, never like super negative or anything like that. But in this particular, with this last take, I was just excited to do something different, um, which is a very different feeling. And of course, you know, in the back of my mind, there was this idea of like, oh, I, need, I, you know, I want to get a good score. It would look even worse if my fourth take went down. <laughs> like worst case scenario that happened, that's just not going to look good, especially on a fourth take. But at the same time, you know, here I was going to take the exam and I'd worked um, really hard, as I'm sure most people do for this exam. But in my case, I was just really excited for new questions. And so I tried to focus on that. And, um, you know, the excitement was what I held on to when I started.
1: So, when you got your score back for June, do you know what your breakdown was?
0: Yeah, I do. So, I got one wrong in the first LR section and then two wrong in the second LR section. My RC was minus one, and then my Logic Games was minus two. Okay. And I remember logic games quite vividly actually, um, because I zoomed through the first three games. Uh, they took like five minutes for the first two and then eight for the third, I think. And then the last game I could not figure out for the life of me, I had like 15 minutes and I just could not figure out like a board or a setup. And that, in that moment I was like, okay, well that's clearly not happening. Let's just brute force this. I have the time. Let's mm-hmm. do it. So I started brute forcing, um, some of my questions, like a part of me just was, I remember feeling like, you know, it was my fourth section. So it was my first section after break. And I'd kind of left break, like, you know, gone to break feeling okay. Mm -hmm. I know some people talk about how they can kind of situate themselves in their section. They know how they're doing. They can kind of keep tally or keep score. I've just never been able to do that. I have a sense of okay, I, I know that that question's a little iffy. I need to go back to it. So I have the sense of questions I need to go back to, things like that, but not a clear sense of how I'm doing because I think I err on the side of feeling like I'm doing terrible, right. just not really f- sure how I'm doing. And I think in some ways, maybe that was a good thing because it wasn't something I worried about. Like I didn't worry about how I was feeling in terms of how I'm doing in the section. Overall, it was going how my practice tests usually go. I felt like I was pacing fine. Everything was okay. And there was nothing super startling or out of the ordinary that freaked me out. So that was good. I was going to break feeling good. And then I got this section and I was just like, well, (laughs) that feeling just went out the door. But I mean, like the last game was, it was okay. And I I think at the same time though, I remember thinking to myself, good thing I went through those games fast.
2: Right. You know, like,
0: and this is what you prepare for, right? Like worst case, you'd come to a stop and you're not sure what to do and you can't freeze up, right? Like you want to, you want to just kind of be like, I'm out. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. But in that moment, you have to just deal with the stress. And that's something I learned with this exam, right? You can't just be like, okay, I'm gonna go take a break and come back. You can't do that like you would with maybe work. Yeah. But here it's in that moment, how do I manage it? Yeah. And it's to say, okay, you know, I've done what I can for most of the section. I've given myself the time that I need. Now I'm just gonna use the skills that I have to do my best to effectively pick answer choices, even if I can't create a board. And you know, internally, like I knew there was some, assumption that I was missing. I just couldn't figure it out in that moment. And that that was what it was. And um, it was okay. But I remember, you know, right after that was LR. And that was my third LR section. So I knew that, you know, one of my LRs was experimental.
1: The minus two on the logic game section, both those questions came from game four? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Did you know that you were gonna miss those questions?
0: Yeah, I thought I was going to miss more than 2. Huh. So the first, you know, there's the acceptable situation question that was okay. Yeah. And then, you know, I don't want to give like way too much away, right. but like, you know, the last four questions for me without like my in friends, they were global questions, right? They weren't like
1: right. they didn't
0: have like a scenario or even if they did, I don't think it helped enough for me to figure it out. Right. Um so at that point, I was just my sheet was covered in game boards. Yeah.
1: That's the danger when you start brute forcing. Mm-hmm. It's just it gets really messy very quickly.
0: Yeah. And of course it's a worst case scenario. And that's a game that actually, you know, I went back to it after I got, you know, the papers back and everything with my score. And I, I still struggled a bit to figure it out. Uh And I remember thinking, okay, this is like a game that I, you know, I need to watch your explanation for because something's not clicking. Like a part of me the second time, you know, when I went through again, during my BR, like I kind of saw the assumption, but you're
1: you're saying you, after you got your June test back with a 174, you're like, mm -hmm, I'm going to BR this.
0: Yeah. The logic game. Yeah. It was, Oh, (laughs) Oh my goodness. After that test, like after I left the testing center and Uh I got home, like I couldn't, you know, I told myself, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to try and recreate the game because there's nothing I can do now. Right. It's just going to drive me insane. Yeah. But I caved the next day and I tried to recreate the game because I remembered the rules and everything. And I still like a part of me, I figured it out, but I, part of me was like, but I had the benefit of. Time and sleep and um, no stress, yeah. and I don't know if I still could have done this effectively on the real exam.
2: Yeah. Right? I'm
0: not sure. Yeah. Um, I think I, I could have still solved it. And maybe I could have gotten it, but I don't. In the sense of, I don't know if I would have still effectively gotten that assumption on the real exam. Right. And either way, you know, what's done is done. In that scenario, I, I felt like I handled it okay. Yeah, I did my best, and I and so I actually thought I'd get the last four wrong, and that's kind of what I accepted. I was like, okay, well. Now, I don't know what I'm going to score on this exam, but those last four questions were really difficult.
2: Right, yeah, yeah, and i yeah.
0: I felt like maybe I got a couple of them with brute forcing, but I'm not sure. And mm-hmm. I was about to go change an answer, and they called. Time And so I put my pencil down and I just remember staring at the bubble being like, why? (laughs) Like one more, like 10 more seconds. It could have been (laughs) fine. Um, And then the next section started. And actually that was, it was a bit difficult. Right. And like in the next section, it,
1: this is your last section now. Yeah, section yeah, five, it's my okay. fifth
0: section. Mm-hmm. And it was nagging at me, like um, a part of me was like, right. you could have done it faster, like been 10 seconds faster. And I was on question four and I realized I was rereading it for the second time. And I told myself, this is not how I prepared for this. Right. You know, I don't dwell on my mistake from a yeah. previous section. Yeah, And I snapped myself out of it. And good thing because that last LR was real. <laughs> so um, <laughs> I got and the section was fine. Like it went out, it started out a little iffy, but I finished fine like I normally do. And it all worked out. And interestingly enough, that was the question I missed on that section. Um, it was question a really, four. yeah, it was like a two-star <sighs> question. Um, and I came back to it three or four times. I had, like I had time. I'd come to a point where I was finishing LR sections really fast. Um, same with RC. I had time at the end of RC too. So yeah, that was never an issue. But when I came back, I still like, it was still really hard to like, kind of see it differently. And I don't, you know, it's, it's all fine, right? Like in mm-hmm. that moment on the test, stress, a lot of different things contribute to how You pick answers and you have to learn to not let it get in the way. But, you know, overall, I have no complaints there. (laughs) Um, You know, I I did my best in that moment. But the biggest moment for me, though, in, in terms of just thinking about my prep was this is why you have to practice moving on. Yeah. Some students, I think, struggle to replicate test conditions because they give themselves that little extra time or, you know, they take a break when you don't have a break. Yeah. And just really resisting the urge to do that is important. And just recognizing that, you know, there were times when I would PT and this didn't happen very often, but I remember once I was in the middle of my second section, it was LR. And I just wanted to stop. I just, I sat there for a second. I was like, I don't want to do a PT today. But one part of me like was like, Oh, you know, like, I don't want to waste this exam. I've already started. I can't right. just stop in the middle. Yeah. Right. Like PTs are precious. That's kind of been drilled into me by then. Yeah. So then another part of me was like, well, you know what, on the real exam, you're not going to get the luxury of being like calling it quits and saying, right. I'm going to come back later. Yeah. yeah. You don't get to do that. You can wait another like two, three at the time, you know, they only gave it like a few times a year, or you can choose to wait two, three months and then come back. Like, is that what you want to do? Um, and I remember I had this like internal dialogue while I was looking at an LR question. I just. Chunged along. Do <laughs> you just deal with it? Um, and dealing with stress and anxiety and frustrations those are all things I strengthen, I think, Yeah. with this test. And I think those are life skills that are good.
1: Yeah, for sure. Zooming out a bit and seeing the big picture here of your score progression from June 2018 to June 2019. So you took three PTs in rapid succession, right? One administration after the next, June, September, yeah. November. And then you mm-hmm. had seven whole months yeah. to kind of reflect and mm-hmm. take time. You say you took some time off and then you were also working slash studying a little bit during the weekdays, a lot during the weekends.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I think there is something to be said about just having the time to absorb this information for you to become habituated.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I found that a lot of the uh, skills that are required to do really well on the test, you just can't cram it in, right? It's not like you learn the rules of formal logic or you learn how to break down the grammar of a densely packed comparative statement like you can do that you can learn how to do that relatively quickly i mean Mm -hmm. you know these lessons on on seven stage are like what five minutes ten minutes yeah so within like an hour you can learn how to do that but that's that's not the same at all as being competent in it right having mastery over it and that's something you just i feel like time is just a necessary ingredient that there's no substitute for
0: Mm-hmm. I think application is very different, right? It's easy to acquire, you know, theoretically understand yeah. all of these things like, okay, I know what I'm supposed to do with this question type. Yeah. But when it comes time to actually do it, am I doing it effectively? That's yeah. one thing, right? Am I doing it you know, within my time limits, am I making time for myself by going quickly? All those easy questions, coming to a point where you can trust your intuition, right? And I think this is something you talk about too. But in the beginning, when you first start studying for this exam, you don't trust your intuition, right? Because oftentimes it's built on poor logic and poor knowledge of kind of arguments. Yeah. And then
1: And they're trying to trap you.
0: <laughs> they, they, yes, that they know too. <laughs>
1: your biases and all the faulty ways that you think and so mm-hmm. they have answer choices waiting lying and try wait
0: oh for sure and then you practice and you start seeing your own mistakes and what you do wrong like you said biases and poor application and you practice that and eventually I do think it came to a point where it was very intuitive after a while for me and I think that that helped with the speed for sure yeah And sometimes now when I see an LR question, I know what the answer is, but then it takes me a little bit more time to think about why,
2: Yes. whereas
0: that was more deliberate, right? In the beginning, I had to think more about, okay, why is this the right answer? Like, what's the reasoning? And I still do, that's definitely what you should do during BR, right? Like, no matter what stage of prep you're in, if you've gotten to a point where it is becoming intuitive and, okay, you pick an answer and that's fine during the test, but you can't let yourself off the hook with like the worst explanations, like out of scope and like, it doesn't matter. Like, why not? Why doesn't it matter? Right? Like here I am struggling with this answer choice. You got to give me a better explanation than that. Right? So that's kind of one of the things I I used to tell myself, like if I were explaining this to another, you know, someone else, right? Would they be satisfied with, oh, it just doesn't matter? Well, no, of course not. And that's doing myself a disservice. And so being more clear about like, why is this irrelevant? Right. Like that's fine again on the test. But now, when you have the time, being really sure about the fact that it is, in fact, yeah. irrelevant and why.
1: That's the thing that takes the longest amount of time. So, people ask me how long blind review should take. And I don't really know how to answer that because mm-hmm. it really just depends on how intense do you want to be about this, you know? Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that's the question. And it's a sliding scale. The more intense you want to be about it, the longer it's going to take. Right. Like you could spend, I don't know, sometimes on blind review calls, we'd spend like 45 minutes on like mm-hmm. two answers, right? Just yeah. like back and forth on two answers from one LR mm-hmm. question, right? And you go through all the things that you mentioned, like a lot of these great blind review exercises, people tend not to do because it's it's a pain in the butt to do, you know? It's
2: yeah. <laughs> like,
1: what's wrong with this answer? Like, is there a way you can change this answer choice? Maybe delete a few words, maybe move around a couple of clauses, maybe do this or that so that it becomes a right answer choice. If you can do that, then you really see how that wrong answer choice was designed, right? Yeah. Or you can do the same thing with the stimulus to change the stimulus maybe just a little bit so that a wrong answer choice becomes a right answer choice. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned like coming up with your own analogous arguments. That's also a great exercise. I'm wondering, during those seven months when you're working and studying between the third and fourth takes, Were you doing that all by yourself or did you have study buddies? Did you meet up with people to study or online or what was it?
0: Yeah, no, at that point, I was, I kind of did it by myself. Actually, when I started prep, I was a lot more active on 7Sage. And I mean, of course, I still used the website, but
1: You're talking about the community. You're talking about the forums. Yeah, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah the community and even BR groups. I was part of a BR group for like the June exam, like mm-hmm. the first June 2018 exam. And that was great. Actually participating in oh, BR I, groups.
1: Sorry, I forgot to even ask you, how long did you study before you took your first exam?
0: Oh, a year. It was about oh. a little over a year. Okay. So yeah, the whole my process
1: is two years.
0: Yeah. Actually, I think a little. So I took my diagnostic in like February 2017. Yeah. And, you know, I was finishing up college, like I was about to graduate and things were really busy with school commitments. And so, yeah. you know, I took my diagnostic and I realized it was not good. Like I wouldn't, oh, was it? it was a 147. Uh, okay. um, like, and I, I think that was inflated too, because I'd seen the logic games before when I'd first considered law school. Yeah. You know, a couple years prior, and of course, a lot of time. You know, things happened in between that made me solidify my decision. But I took my first full test, February 2017, and you know, I realized with my score I wouldn't even get into my undergraduate institution, which is like a public state school. (laughs) So I was like, well, this is going to require more time and commitment. And actually, when I saw my diagnostic, I was super disheartened. Like, you know, I looked around online, and there wasn't very positive feedback about what you could do with the 147 or like how much you could even improve with study yeah. and you know I, I kind of stumbled on Reddit and I, I mean I'd used the forums before obviously but like when I was on Reddit I saw that there were communities related to it and someone was mentioning Seven Sage and you know I came over and I read some of the comments on the forums and people were just so positive and that was really important to me I think that this test is stressful as it is and you don't need more people telling you how badly you're going to do or how doomed you are for your future uh, (laughs) and your career choices. You should just, you might as well quit now. Right. But, um, so kind of seeing that, like I said, okay, you know, and I prefer self-study. I love independent study. I enjoy that. So it seemed like the perfect curriculum. So I I tried to trial, I did a bit. And so I started truly studying around June, 2017 or so.
1: I see, I see. Okay, so Mm -hmm. yeah, from there, it was a year to your June 2018 first test.
0: Mm -hmm. Gotcha,
1: gotcha. So then the last seven months, Mm -hmm. when you're studying by yourself, you have to be extra vigilant about giving a proper explanation to yourself.
0: Yeah, yeah, you have to be honest with yourself, right? I think that goes for any part of this exam, right? I mean, we talk about this, right? Like doing yourself a disservice, right? In the end, like- your score is going to affect your future, right? Your future, your options and your career path. And I mean, also just considering you're going into law, right? You know, you have to be honest with yourself first and foremost, I think. And so in my situation, I wasn't as worried about that because like I said, I enjoy Mm self-studying and I know I could do better. And at this point, like I said, you know, I realized that this was kind of my only option was to be even more serious with myself Mm. about, you know, when I was studying again, you know, even if I'm studying just like 15 minutes or 30 minutes, that's okay. But being really honest about the time I was committing and what I was doing with my time in terms of like, not just brushing off my wrong answers because I can't do that again, right? Like that yeah. that's already happened. You know, I've already reaped the negative impact of that. <laughs> <laughs> like let's not do that again for a fourth take of all takes. Yeah. So I think that that wasn't even a concern in my situation, but yes, definitely. I think, like I said, you know, don't let yourself off the hook, yeah. right? Yeah. Out of scope. Like it doesn't benefit anybody. It doesn't benefit anybody, let alone yourself. So that's right. You know, and I think this is actually a good thing to think about is like, you know, a lot of people do post explanations on Simon sage which is fantastic. I love watching videos and then sometimes wanting to see someone else's words. Yeah. And so scrolling down, that's fantastic. And I always just also remind people, you know, even when you're posting explanations for yourself or for someone else, that's your opportunity, right? Yes. To be more deliberate and don't be afraid for like someone to be like, hey, I don't agree with that. Or like, yeah. you know, don't be afraid to be yeah. wrong. Yeah,
1: um, totally. How else
0: would you know, right? Totally. Like you won't know. That is
1: completely the right attitude. I mean, I tell people like, here, I'm going to give an explanation, but you know, that's my explanation, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm not inside your mind. I can, like sometimes I'll try to guess at like what a lot of people tend to misconstrue or something as, But like the really precise explanation is the one that you can give for yourself right and like
2: yeah
1: forcing yourself and uh, encourage people to like write in the comments because writing is just a better way of thinking than for sure thinking mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's like speaking is even a better way of thinking than just in your head thinking. yeah but like writing is really a great way it really forces you to be clear Mm -hmm. You know, about what it is that you're trying to say. And I get that. Like people tend to be like a little shy about Mm -hmm. putting stuff out there. And especially when in the context of an LSAT question, there is a right and wrong. So it's possible that your reasoning is just wrong and somebody can point that out to you. But you should look at that as precisely what you're after. Mm -hmm. Like what could be better than somebody showing you that the way you're reasoning about something is not right so that you can fix it if I have like a wrong methodology of reasoning about something, like I will want it. So they would be doing me a service by pointing that out.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it also makes you think, you know, maybe the question wasn't even a question you considered very deeply. you thought about it in passing, you got it right and you moved on, but maybe your reasoning wasn't as sound as you thought it was and you just lucked out. Right. Yeah. How else are you supposed to address that? And that's, I think one of the big challenges with this test is, Identifying your mistakes first and foremost, beyond just getting a question wrong, right? Like mistakes in your approach or strategy. Those are things that sometimes, you know, if you can't figure it out on your own, the best scenario is to write your explanation down and say, hey, can someone tell me like what I'm not seeing? Right. Yeah. And, you know, that could ultimately benefit someone else who's scrolling by having the same question to see, you know, a lot of different people's perspectives on how they read the stimulus that got them to the right answer. And of course, you know, we agree that there is only one right answer, but how we get there, you know, what connections we made or what kind of stood out for some questions, I think that there can be a couple of different things that point you in the direction of the right answer. And maybe seeing something that you didn't catch that could have tipped you off, things like that, I think are incredibly beneficial. Utilizing that aspect of 7 Sage or any, you know, any forum or wherever you engage um, with this test, whether in person with yeah. a friend or, you know, with a tutor or, You know, online, making sure that, you know, you're open to discussion about those questions that maybe you thought were easy in the moment, it's still beneficial.
1: Yeah. Okay. So let's travel a bit back in time. And I want to talk about how you improved 19 points from your diagnostic of 147 to your first prep test of 166 Mm -hmm. in the span of a year. What did you do?
0: (laughs) So, kind of in order, you know, I started. Really intensively going through the CC around June. You know, I started, been in March, started June, really digging in. I spent about three hours a day. I was working at that time. Again, I just graduated. I was interning um, in a job that was forty hours a week, so I would study two to three hours in the evenings after I'd come home. Um, and then on the weekends, I spent a little more time. And that was just focused on going through the material. I think one of my big tips for people in general is don't time yourself or like, don't focus on the time with the problem sets. I get this question a lot too is, oh, how fast should I be doing these problems? Well, you know, I don't know if you should even be timing it because mm-hmm. that's not the point. Right now you're learning something, right? Like speed is the second step. That's something that I, I was really big about was I would maybe use a stopwatch if I was curious, but time was secondary to my applying some of the things I learned. And so Mm -hmm. I did all the problem sets as I was going through, I think in retrospect, I would maybe do a fewer problem sets and keep some for myself for once I needed for drilling, maybe, but it was okay. I still, you know, that that's kind of was my focus. And then around September, I started studying full-time and I started PTing at that point. It was just one PT every two or three weeks. And, you know, I did a couple of PTs in the beginning just to kind of see where I was. When I got out of the CC, I think my first test was a 160, but then I kind of just immediately dropped to like the high 150s for a while mm-hmm. after that. And that's when I realized, okay, LG is really bad. <laughs> like I really need to work on that. And so I started foolproofing. And I actually spent most of my time foolproofing. And I can speak to that in a second. But one of the other things I did was also LR. I realized I was unable to finish the section. And a part of it was because I spent too much time looking at my clock, Mm. just feeling nervous. And so for a while, I said, okay, you know, I know that time is important and I am timing myself, right? I never do a PT without like a new PT without time. But I flipped over my watch during LR and I just focused on doing the questions very like focused and just, moving forward with my questions and just finishing the section on time without worrying about where I was in terms of the clock in the middle of a section. That's kind of what I did in the beginning until I felt like I could get through an LR section. And in the meantime, during my drilling Phase. I was just really focused on foolproofing. I foolproofed a ton of games every day. The method I used is, I think it's maybe similar to Pacifico's method on the forum. It's posted there, but Mm -hmm. basically I have a huge Excel chart that's really big. And it's uh, on the left-hand side, I recorded like the game, the rating at the time on Seven Sage, the ideal time you finish it in and how many Mm -hmm. questions there were. And then I set up rows of takes. And every time I took the test, I would write down the day I took it you know what my time was, how many questions I got right, and then based on that, I scheduled my next take. So if I did really poorly, I might schedule my next take for a few days later. If I did pretty well, I might give it a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kept doing that incrementally. So every That's time amazing. I, yeah, I set up some like conditional formatting um, on Excel, and I it would like light up the days or like highlight the games I had to take that day. Some days it was like 10 games. It was a lot. (laughs) So I like, I'd like reschedule things. And then when I mastered a game, you know, and that means like I got it, you know, 100% right on time. And then I was able to redo that a month later. After a huge gap, I was able to recreate that success. I'd call it mastered and the bar would go green, Mm -hmm. which is nice. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's kind of how I set it up. And I did that for all the games from one through 35. So there were some games, I mean, I did 13, 14 times because they were just really hard for me. (sighs) And yeah, when I look back, I was like, wow, I, I've seen this game so many times. And then there are other games that I was able to do in just one or two takes. Right. And yeah, I think for miscellaneous games, it was something that I spent a lot of more time on because those are games that were different. And so I would yeah. require more nuance yeah. or like just more understanding about how best to tackle those questions. And so, yeah, that was a good system for me. And I, so my foolproofing wasn't just a few days or weeks. It was... You know, over months, like I was foolproofing up to my June exam, right? Yeah. Except it was I had less as time went on. I had less games I had to foolproof. Well, as
1: should be the case, right? Yeah, exactly.
0: Uh, yeah. And and I'd seen success with foolproofing almost halfway through. Like I was on fourteen, fifteen, I think PT yeah. fifteen or so, and I was yeah. already doing so much better. My logic games went from like, I don't remember exactly, but around like minus 10, minus 11, minus 12 to more consistently around minus six or minus five. Mm -hmm. And then from there, refining that some more for like speed across the section, right? Yeah. A huge part of it is not just time management on a game, but time management across games. Yeah. And so, yeah, those are all things I learned, but that was most of the beginning of my prep. And during that same time, I was drilling LR questions by type. Again, you know, I'd gained all this great knowledge. It was really cool to me. And again, like logic, I still find super fascinating, but I didn't know how to implement that, right? On questions and do it effectively and quickly. And so just in general, I would oftentimes drill questions by type, or I'd go back and watch videos from the CC as I needed for certain question types. So like mini question type intensives for myself yeah, that's kind of what I did until December or so. And December, I took a month off. I'd also started volunteering because I realized I needed something away from this exam. Just studying all day was becoming a little too much for me. (laughs) I needed something that could take my mind off this test, not because I, again, didn't enjoy it, but because you can't brute force the time, and I know people want to that's be like, right. "Okay, how many hours do I put in to get like X score?" And it's not a formula, right? Yeah. Um, you can't just say, "Okay, five hours a day, and I'll get a good score."
1: Yeah, that spaced repetition that you talked about. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's a yeah. that is a well-supported finding in psychology for yeah. acquiring mm-hmm. new skills. Right. Yeah,
0: I used it. I used it a lot for a language and so it was something yeah. that I had a lot of faith in. So
1: yeah, no, it works. It really works. Mm-hmm. You just see you move away from it. You let yourself like I don't know what's actually happening. <laughs> I didn't study <laughs> psychology. But I like yeah. to think that you're letting yourself forget it and your subconscious mm-hmm. is like somehow absorbing it. Yeah. And then to come back and you know, a lot of with LG, a lot of foolproofing. I don't know if you heard you're probably not following LSAT drama, but with the latest, proof. I I am actually you, you heard okay so yeah I'm still the... tutoring and oh, so my yeah. students
0: impart this <laughs> the horrors of the exam on me yeah
1: so um... they're they're releasing the September score in like two weeks I think oh so you know people said that there's this like mm-hmm. horrible game on it and I'm sure there is I'm sure there's one game that's like horrendous but mm-hmm. you know the point of foolproofing proofing is to give you. Uh, familiarity with those standard games that aren't Mm -hmm. that aren't you know weird and messed up
2: yeah rather
1: they are just your straight up sequencing games grouping whatever so to show you all the ways that they like to set up these and like if they tell you two items can't go into slot two Mm -hmm. and they just stop talking it's up to you to realize oh there are only four items to begin with that could go into slot two so it's actually a huge deal that they told you two items can't go into whatever that slot was.
2: Mm-hmm. Because now yeah. that means
1: there are only two other items that can go in there. That's that pattern of inference making, mm-hmm. that foolproofing really. I mean, at least if you're doing it right and you get the point of it, that's the kind of thing. Like you can generalize that away to a rule, right? Like I say in the LG explanations, that particular generalization is when they give you something negative, turn it into something positive, mm-hmm. right? Like that captures so many inferences that they try to hide. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm also very curious to see what that game is like.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: (laughs) I'll find out in a couple of weeks. But, you know, it's precisely to prepare you for a game like that so that you move through the other games and you have time to like deal with Mm -hmm. the weirdness.
0: Yeah. And I think this applies to every section, right? Like I think a lot of times we think about, oh, how do I get faster at harder questions? But I think that that's the wrong question, right? Like you want to get faster at the easy questions and the easy games and become efficient with easier or simpler questions and passages so that you have the time that you need for those harder games. At least in my case, like I don't think I ever got super fast at hard questions. I just one, created more time for myself yeah. for those hard questions and then also became a little more efficient yeah. with how I tackled the difficulty.
1: No, totally. And that's on a spectrum, right? That is completely mm-hmm. on a spectrum. Even to this day, I don't think I've ever gotten a 180 on a prep test
2: before. I haven't either. Right? So like I, just, <laughs> yeah.
1: like, I know people do get 180s. So they exist. Mm-hmm. I don't know how they do it because for me, it's guaranteed that out of these 100 or 101 questions, there's gonna be like a handful that I'm just looking at this like, okay, this is really pushing the upper bounds of what I can figure out under time conditions, right?
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: I tell everybody to do this, but you know, skip questions. Your job is to identify hard questions and skip them, Yeah, right? And then like a little bit lower down on the spectrum, in other words, questions that are not as hard, but still pretty hard, those are the questions that you actually wanna spend more time on. Where do you get that time? Well, two places. One, by being faster on the easier ones right? And the mm-hmm. other place is by not trying to do every single question.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think in the beginning, I was skipping a lot more aggressively, I think, because there was just so much more I didn't know. And then I got to a point where my skipping was, I was a little more careful. Like I, I kind of knew how I was, whether or not I could access that question in this moment.
1: Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah. That's, that's a really difficult thing. I mean, it's a judgment call, mm-hmm. right? It's a judgment call that relies on a lot of intuition,
0: Mhm. Yeah, and I think I, I do this more for RC, but it's like a question exit strategy, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's what signal do I have that this isn't something I should waste my time on now? And I think it's a little different for each person, right? For some people it really is rereading the question a second time and then, you know, thinking about it a little and they're good. But for me, sometimes if I read it a second time and it just wasn't clicking. I just knew that this was a question I just needed to come back to later because it wasn't because of misreading or something. It's just something's not connecting for me right now. Yeah. And so being able to figure that out or you know, going through and saying, okay, I can cross off A, B, C, but D and E, I'm just not sure. And so you give yourself one more shot to reread them and then thinking about making that snap decision of yeah. whether or not you want to spend time rereading the stimulus, which isn't necessarily wrong. It's just is that the time I have and is it going to help me in this moment? Yeah. And I think actually leading up to my last take, I didn't skip very often because I'd gotten to a point where I realized I didn't need that anymore. And so I might skip one or two questions that I eventually just came back to mm-hmm. and it was fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also, it comes with having trust that you have the time that yeah. you need, yes. right? Because yes. you know, how can you say I'm going to come back when you never finish? That's right? right. That's um, right. And that takes prep and practice, of course. Right. And you do get to a point where you can, Confidently skip because you're like, yeah, I'm gonna come back. I have the time. There's no worries right. there, right? right? And I remember you saying this: if you're gonna get a question wrong, get it wrong fast and move on. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I take that very seriously. Yeah. In the beginning, it was hard, right? I had a lot of underconfidence errors, and I think leading up to the end of my prep, I had a good mix of underconfidence and overconfidence. But at the same time, within that, I knew what I really needed to come back to you. if a part of me is like, oh, I could have gotten that one wrong, and that one wrong, and the other one wrong too, just Even with that, I think, let's say you do, with the digital, I think it's definitely more difficult because I had like a system for how I circled questions. Um, it wasn't super drawn out, but like I had a first priority, second priority questions and then skip. So like if I put an S, that was the number one question I need to go back to because I completely skipped it, Mm -hmm. right? Like I didn't really answer anything. I just, you know, I glanced at it and I knew I needed to come back. But then I had questions where like I was a little more 50-50 and I wanted to take a you know, a bit more time on it. And then there were questions where I was just my internal fear that was making me think I did it wrong, that I just knew that it's totally fine if I don't have time for those. But ideally, I'd like to get another look. Right. And, you know, but eventually like near the end, I didn't need to use that as much. Like just an S for skipped was enough Or like I just had a few questions. But with the digital, I think that that's definitely a different kind of challenge. I think being a little more careful with flagging questions Maybe again, I can't speak to technique, but I don't know if it helps to come out like end the section with like eight flags and then (laughs) not know which one to go back to. I think figuring out a method for yourself about how you flag and maybe being more careful about, you know, just trusting yourself a little more is also important, even with skipping.
1: Yeah. At least in this iteration of the uh, digital interface, I say this because they're probably going to be making changes Mm -hmm. as time moves forward. But, um, There's sort of two signals you can give yourself. One is flagging, Mm
2: -hmm. which will
1: make a flag appear on the bottom row of your questions. The other signal is just leaving the question blank, which will leave that little dot like white. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Maybe you can use those two. Because, yeah, when you're taking it on pencil, there's like, I had like a light circle, you know, like Mm -hmm. really heavy circle. When on round two, like if I'm done with the question, I'll put a big check on it to indicate that, okay, I'm done with this one. Even though there's a circle, it's good. But you, yeah, you, you just got to come up with a new system to signal your second round strategy.
0: Yeah, I think definitely, I think there's a, a lot of things with digital, but that was one thing. And then also, I think making little notes, not, I don't want to say notes for myself, but one thing I I did have the luxury of, I think with paper, and maybe there's a new technique for this now with digital, but let's say I was down to two answer choices and I couldn't figure out, I would maybe like cross off the word or something that was irking me in an answer choice. Mm -hmm. And even if I didn't pick something, when I skipped and I'd come back, I could see what I was thinking. That, you know, I actually took a digital LR section yesterday, you know, because I was helping a student. And then I remember coming back to me like, wait, why was I like what was I debating on? I don't remember.
2: Mm.
0: Like I wasn't sure in that moment, like what it was that was making me switch between the two answers, whether that's good or bad, right? Like it was almost like having a fresh question, which is kind of nice. Oh but yeah. In terms of skipping, I think that I realized I made like a little annotation on my scratch paper to remind myself like what it was I was kind of confused on with that question. Uh, but there are little things like that that I think are a little different with the digital.
1: Yeah. It does make it way easier to see your timing at least if you take it on Seven Sages Digital Test.
0: Yeah, yeah, that was amazing. Actually, that was really cool. Like I came out and I I looked at, it was PT55. I looked at my section and there was one question I'd gone back to six times (sighs) because- You know, I mean, I had the time. I was, <laughs> right. it was between like 21 and 22. I just kept going back and forth because I was like right. debating between a couple answers and yeah. it was fine. I just had the time. So I was just right, kind of thinking right, about right. it more like I would during VR. But when I, I didn't know that that would happen. So when I came out, I was like, whoa, yeah. <laughs> like eight, eight rounds on one question. So it's really interesting to look at. Right. I think that's a fantastic tool. I yeah. I still don't know if I'd want to annotate and stuff on the real exam though. Um, it doesn't look very convenient with the highlighters and stuff. Oh
1: yeah, I I took the uh, whatever, I forget the latest one is on digital. I didn't touch any of the annotation stuff.
0: Yeah, I didn't either. <laughs> I, I just, just feel
1: like it's such a distraction to have to think about like, do I want the highlighter? What color do I want the highlighter? Do yeah. I underline or whatever? It's mm-hmm. like, uh.
0: Yeah, the one and only time during that, like the digital, I used my scratch paper on the side to just kind of, you know, most of the time, I don't think you need it, especially like I said, if it came to intuition, it's not a big deal. But yeah. for those questions where I was kind of thinking about it, I would just write down like the words that I was thinking about from the stimulus that I was focusing on. Like I would have underlined on the real thing, maybe if I was reading, because I don't do it with the idea that this is more important, but more of like just like kind of keeping myself reading, like pacing yeah. myself as I'm reading yeah. and just kind of like marking down like a scribble here and there. And then, yeah. I find the highlighter and stuff a little uh, like I feel like I'd waste too much time switching between. And right. the only place I think I did highlight was the argument part question, just because I like being able to know what I'm focusing on as I'm oh, reading. Oh, I see. And that was like one question, so that was the only question where I actually highlighted that
1: that part of the argument that they want you mm-hmm. to label.
0: Yeah, just because it's so easy to forget. Whereas the rest of the argument, I think right. you know we practice identifying premise and conclusion to the point where it should start being more automatic.
2: Yeah. For sure. So
0: in my head, the argument fits fine. Yeah. So I don't need to like underline the premise and the conclusion anymore. Yeah. But I'm aware of it and I've identified it. So I think at that point for me, the argument part, it's not intuitive for me to keep that line in my head if it's not like the conclusion or a mm-hmm. major part of it in my head, like the argument that I condense. So for me, that was a necessary tool. But I mean, RC, for example, I don't annotate my RC passages I mean, I went from being someone who annotated like crazy and then tried not annotating at all, which is good practice. Um, but I kind of settled on like a sort of a middle point to where I just do my low rest summaries on my scratch paper. I mean, on the real exam, I just wrote them on the side of each paragraph. Mm-hmm. And that's all I do in terms of annotations. I don't do nice. anything beyond that. So I think in terms of digital, I think that those strategies are still useful. Yeah. There are little things that I think are different with the digital that you'll have to practice with, right? Yeah in preparation, figuring out how do you prioritize questions. yeah, And also maybe just considering like, this is in my case, uh, self-confidence, right? Like this is a time I, I guess, like if I were doing digital now, I say, okay, this is my chance to build up my self-confidence on questions and be really careful about what I choose to flag and leave alone because I might not remember why I flagged it when I go back. So right. it might be the chance you have to Fix uh, those internal challenges, yeah, or address those internal challenges, yeah.
1: Digital does make it easier. One thing that was always a challenge back in the paper version to spot was your underconfidence errors, mm-hmm. because you you basically couldn't spot them unless you had like crazy good memory mm-hmm. or you recorded yourself, you know, with a camera
2: mm-hmm. and then
1: like watch the footage and then annotated your own timing report. Yeah. Otherwise, you would not be able to tell whether an easy question ate up more than a disproportionate amount of time. You just couldn't tell. But now with the timing report, it's like those underconfidence errors start sticking out pretty obviously.
0: Yeah, exactly. I think when I was doing it on paper, I do like the hourglass sign really briefly if I knew that I was taking a lot of time on a question.
1: Like as the clock was ticking, you would do that?
0: Yeah, because it was at this point, oh. like, you know, this was when I was doing retakes, right? Because yeah. for me, again, like I was going faster. It wasn't really an issue. I knew I would have time. But it was my way of reminding myself, okay, this question took you a long time. You need yeah. to come back and figure out why you took a long time on it. Right. Even if I end up getting it right. Yeah. I think like a tip for earlier in prep for sure would be to clean copy BR. Yeah. I did that a lot in the beginning and then I started doing it more intermittently mm. as I got later to my prep where I could just go BR the questions I needed to because I was more confident with my answers. Yeah. But just redoing every single question. So you can kind of figure out what you got wrong because you just lucked out, right? Because, you know, it was just, you didn't see answer choice D; that was a trap. And you saw B, and you picked it, and you moved on. But if you just read a couple answer choices down, maybe you would have been stuck, right? Yeah. Um, and yeah. Okay, you were lucky in that moment, but that's such a good moment of learning to yes, kind of recognize that.
1: That's important because if they switch the order, mm-hmm. instead of B first then D, if they switched it and it was D first then B,
0: mm-hmm. right?
1: Then you wouldn't have gotten lucky that question. You might still get it right,
0: mm-hmm.
1: or you might not, but you might. But it probably would take longer.
0: Exactly, and I think. That's why even if you're later in your prep and you're scoring really well, it's a good exercise once in a while to go back and yeah, it takes a little more time. And yeah, you might only take one PT for that week, but it's really good practice. And I I did that quite often, you know, to throw in a clean copy as like a kind of a spot check to see, okay, what's my score difference between my pt and my br and how would it have been different if i discounted these questions cuz you know the worst is when you pick the wrong answer during br right yeah. like that just tells you that you don't fully grasp yeah. the question as much as maybe you thought you did or you or maybe there was something else that you need to be more confident this is a sign that you need to think a bit more about what's causing you to change your answer right yeah. there's a lot to learn from the questions where you get it right during timed and wrong during br yeah. it feels awful but you know that's what you learn from
1: Wow. Okay. Well, this is great. A lot of good advice for people. How long have you been teaching?
0: I started right after the June scores came out. I don't remember exactly when. End of the month, I think. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah. yeah, I
0: mean, for the LSAT, yes. Yeah.
1: Right. So now that you've been teaching for five months?
0: Yeah. (laughs) About so. Yeah.
1: What kind of questions do you tend to get from your students? What kind of advice do you have? Oh. Do you find yourself giving out most often, most frequently?
0: Uh, That's a good question. RC, I think, is where um, a lot of people come to me for help. Yeah, Uh, there's a lot. So RC wasn't always easy. For I mean, it was my better section when I did my diagnostic, but that's all really relative, right? I was Mm -hmm. doing terribly on everything, but it was a section where I did a lot of deliberate prep to improve. And I tell students, they're like, I don't think I can remember all of this in time. Like, this isn't my like good subject, or I don't read really fast. I, you know, do I need to stop sub vocalizing? And you know. I don't understand what I'm reading. Like, those are things that I get asked a lot. And, you know, I think the first thing is to not go into, first of all, a section or a question thinking that it's not your strong point because there's really nothing you can do about that, right? The method approach should still be the same. So I always tell students, it's not about how quickly you read necessarily or like whether you know a lot about this topic. It's recognizing the structure and then dealing with not knowing things. That's really important, right? Like I'd go through a few lines and say, you know, I don't know what's going on and that's okay. Maybe I'll figure it out later as I'm reading, or maybe I won't be asked a question about it. If I am, I can come back and deal with it then. But letting yourself move on and just kind of absorb the information and think about it more broadly. You know, I always tell students that don't focus so much on the details or retaining all this information or trying to go super fast because a bit more like LG, spend time up front and be okay with the ambiguity of not knowing something. And also if you can make it a learning opportunity in that, You're learning about a new topic. That's kind of interesting, right? Yeah. I mean, I know it's not easy because you're under time pressure and you needed to answer questions and do well, but at the same time, stress makes it harder to absorb the information. I believe that quite strongly. Yeah. So that's one major thing. And then the other is more outside of this test, learning to handle stress or creating methods for yourself. Like, I'm a huge fan of meditating or, you know, exercising you know, think of them as part of your studying in a way. Don't guilt yourself for taking a break. I know I struggled with that at some points, feeling like I was a slacker for not working, but don't do that and take the time you spend outside of this test quite seriously because that'll help you do better on this test because it leaves you mentally well-rounded, I believe. So, you know, working out or meeting friends, you know, friends that have a positive influence, obviously, but, you know, working out, going out and do things that are exciting to you and fun to you that are different from this exam so that when you come back, you have more mental energy to yeah. tackle the challenges that are yeah. before you.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, especially, you know, you have experience with working full-time for most of the time you were studying for the two years that you spent studying for it. Mm-hmm. Most of the time you were working full-time, right?
0: Uh I- I think it was about fifty fifty. 50 Okay. I you know I had the luxury of, of studying full time for I think the most serious part of my prep in terms of the beginning of you know PTing and stuff. But yeah, I think I think it was about fifty fifty.
1: Okay. Yeah. Well, that's good. It's I always say it's like it is a luxury to be able to study for this test full time. Mm-hmm. A lot of yeah. people do have to just work full time while they're studying, and I'm sure you you found that part of the fifty fifty to be more challenging.
2: Yeah, for sure.
1: You were just talking about all of these lifestyle things. Mm-hmm. Did you like have a fixed sleeping schedule? Did you try to watch what you eat? Did you like cut down on socializing?
0: No. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, mean I, I I don't know if I had like a very exciting social life to begin with. So I don't know if there was anything to cut there. <laughs> but my eating and my sleeping habits were, I mean... I don't think I thought as much about those.
1: Uh Were they already good?
0: I think they were okay. I I eat pretty healthy. I like, I mean, I intermittent fast. That was something I've done for a long time. So that wasn't anything different. But I do think that that has benefits. I argue that that has benefits. That's something people should try. Yeah. But beyond that, I mean, sleep and stuff. I usually, you know, I slept around the same time every day and I woke up because I had to get to work in the morning. But, you know, those are things I thought about a lot leading up to my first exam. And I think it helped at that time because it created something that was a bit more static in my life.
2: Yeah, Outside of this
0: test day, for example, can be really stressful or exciting. Um, Those are things that maybe with having some other aspects of your life be a little more standardized, can feel a little more comfortable. So there's less to worry about the day of the test or, you know, leading up to the test. I think for me that I didn't have as much of a worry there. You know, I exercised every day like I normally did. I maintained most of my habits. They weren't, huge changes but at the same time I think I'd felt more experienced with this exam that even those changes weren't a big deal. Mm-hmm. I did do one thing though is that you know I was in a new city and my third and fourth tests were both you know I had to commute there you know on a train <laughs> without my cell phone and mm-hmm. so I like practiced going to the test center for both tests
1: like a couple of days before.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for my third test, I went to the test center twice. First mm-hmm. time, you know, I used my phone to kind of figure out where I was going. The second time, I didn't let myself use my phone. And then the third time, it was test day and I managed to get there. It was all good. And I didn't take my phone because I was just so nervous about, you know, I'd read the rules multiple times and I do not want to risk it. Yeah. What if they don't have a code check? You know, I don't want that to be a problem. And then the second test, I mean, my last test, you know, I went just one day before and it was a pretty easy location, but those are things that I did for myself that kind of helped me feel a little more comfortable the day of getting there. Yeah. And at the time I was a little more familiar with the city. I do think definitely with the phones though, don't take your phone. I mean, it's hard. I realized that, you know, for me, like I was commuting and it was hard, like feeling like I could get lost. But at the same time, when we got to the test center, a lot of people had to wait to like basically... The person who was administering the test at my test center was very, very strict about bags and phones, and there wasn't like a clear coat check, and so a lot of those people had to wait until the end, I think, to get rid of their stuff. Mm. It's just extra stress that you yeah. really don't need. Yeah, and you know maybe our center was lucky that people weren't actually kicked out, but it's better not to risk that. So for me, in terms of something that I did, yeah, okay, yeah. So in terms of making sure you don't create more stresses for yourself, if you're someone who is late often, tell yourself that. You need to, you know, this test is going to start earlier than it actually does. Do whatever you need to, to trick yourself to get there. Things like that. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. It's, I think I was fortunate. A lot of these habits are things that I didn't have to worry as much about.
1: Right. actually sounds to me like you already had some pretty good habits and routines in place already, which is good.
0: I mean, I hope so. (laughs) I hope so. At this point, I need to keep up my activity, but yeah, I definitely think that doing things outside of this test, whether you making them stand, of course, don't work out like a few days before your test for the first time. That's just (laughs) asking for like pain and soreness, but like considering the things that you do outside of your test and how they could be better. And they're, you know, they're probably better for your life in general, right? Like eating healthier is better for you anyway, right? Beyond this test, these are good habits to form now when you have the opportunity to reform your habits yeah might as well right yeah <laughs> um,
1: well this is great i'm so glad you took the time to talk to us about your story and your advice
0: yeah i mean i've benefited so much already so <laughs> from from like other people's advice on seven Sage. so yeah this is the least the least i could even do honestly
1: if people want to get in touch with you should they just try to find you on seven Sage?
0: Yeah, um, on 7Sage, my handle is Porpoise, And then you can always email me. I created an email for this. It's porpoiselsat (laughs) at gmail.com. Great.
1: I'll link to those in the show notes.
0: Yeah, I tried to make it easier for students who maybe didn't have an account if they...
1: Was habeasporpoise at gmail.com taken?
0: Yeah, I think so. I don't remember exactly. I thought of a couple of usernames. Like I heckled my best friend to like help me with you. It was, it wasn't good. Um, but yeah, I think that I just was trying to make it simple for people to yeah. email me.
1: Well, the that, that handle's great. I'm a big fan.
0: Thank you. I don't, first of all porpoises aren't dolphins but like I don't have like a particular affinity for porpoises but habeas puppy just did not sound as good yeah and I, I had just my name at first I just had like a general username and then yeah. I saw all these like great legally related names and I just felt like mine was not up to par so
1: <laughs> <laughs> all right well I'll link to your email and your seven Sage handle in the show notes uh, thank you of
0: course thank you
1: Hi everyone, it's JY again. Thanks for listening. I hope this conversation left you with some ideas about how to improve your own study habits. As promised, an update about Rachisha. She had a great application cycle, yielding admissions to several excellent schools. Her top choices came down to UVA and Columbia, with scholarships on the table for both. She is currently a happy one out at the Zoom School, I mean, Columbia School of Law. And that's it for this episode. If you have any comments or suggestions for us, send us an email at sevensage.com. It's always a treat for me to hear from you. And finally, if you're studying for the LSAT, applying to law school, studying for your law school exams, or studying for the bar, we can help. Come visit us at sevensage.com. Take care of yourself and see you next time.